Welcome everyone back to Creators Grab Coffee. Today we have Doug Darling from Tripwire Media. They are a video production agency based in Winnipeg that has a strong focus on strategic storytelling. Doug, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great to finally get this on on like we we're supposed to do this a couple <laughs> like a week or two ago, but all of us ended up getting sick at one point or another. <laughs> yeah, all it's all good. We're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Doug, why don't you just give us a little background on on who you are and uh, who Tripwire Media is? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we are. Um, yeah, we're a video agency based in um, in Winnipeg. Uh, we have a team of about uh, 14 people, and uh, we, uh, we do work uh, kind of all over Canada, uh, primarily in kind of three areas, which is uh, live action um, video scripted, uh, live action video unscripted, like short doc documentaries and stuff like that, and then animation, uh, and then all the things in between, primarily uh, mostly corporate commercial work. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been going for about 13, almost 13 years now, which is crazy um and uh, has just been really exciting we've re redefined ourselves a few times that we have a real kind of focus on kind of the storytelling and the psychology uh of you know why are we making things uh for our audience what do they need it for who is the goal what is the audience how do we move them to that goal that kind of stuff so it's been uh, it's been a wild trip and uh we're always just continuously trying to redefine ourselves still um and uh and um yeah get past this pandemic and back onto the uh, streets a little more mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's dive a little into the strategic aspect sure. of what you guys do, because this is something that's been coming up episode after episode. Everyone is a lot of video production companies are shifting from from more so just providing the video content to seeing how they can be more strategic about the videos they are creating. So why don't you just give us a little um, like a little uh, overview on how you guys implement that in your videos? Yeah, I mean, there's a few different uh, ways that we utilize strategy. I mean, one is obviously the strategy of actually uh, the structure of, of, of a video that we make. So is there a, a, an arc to it? Is there a, a hook and a conflict and a journey and a, um, uh, and a, uh, a resolution and a jab, those kinds of things? So um, when we're making something, we want to make sure that it has structure, kind of like having a blueprint to a, a house. You don't just go and build a house. Um, you want to make sure you understand what you're building before you go in there. Uh, we were like a lot of companies before that who used to just kind of show up and shoot or just make things the first idea, or we would actually listen to the client, them telling us what they wanted to have made, made which is sometimes kind of like, you know, like someone coming in and hiring lawyers and telling the lawyers what their legal defense should be. Um, so what we started realizing is that, um, uh, that we weren't doing our clients justice and actually listening and understanding the need. Uh, and then and then bringing them something that was probably better suited or or better fitting for them. Not saying that we had to change their mind every time. Uh, and then the the other part of it is really that strategy of of where you know where is this um, you know if it's one video, let's say, where is it going to be in part of the larger strategy and the larger funnel of the experience or the journey of a client uh, or a viewer? And so um, we faced again, like a lot of companies, you know, where we would have a client come and go like, hey, we need everything in the kitchen sink in this. This has to serve every possible uh, purpose, have all the information, yet be emotional and tell our story. And it needs to talk to all of our audiences. And for the longest time, we were just like, yeah, okay, sure. Sounds good. 
And we found we were kind of either making things that were uh, totally off uh, off track. They were not connecting with the, the uh, their intended audience. Uh, they were something that maybe the client was really happy with, but again, it wasn't really doing anything. Or we were making something that was just too big uh, and that original idea had turned into something way bigger. So if you don't have that strategy, you don't have that infrastructure or that framework to have defined first before you lift a camera, before you animate a frame, um, then um, you're really, uh, you're just kind of throwing caution into the wind and hoping to make something um, and, and really, you know, arguably wasting their money and your time. So How we, long we kind of, we, we, sorry. And so we kind of really started defining that uh, and, and really realizing when you have a proper strategy um, that actually it, it, it helps creative be better rather than the other way around. It's actually not uh, restrictive. It actually uh, helps you focus and then come up with better ideas and, and then uh, put all the noise aside so that you can actually do the job that you're supposed to do. Yeah, it's so key to be thinking like that uh, when working with your clients. <clears throat> uh, so actually, how long did it roughly take uh, for you guys to start thinking a little bit more strategically with your clients? Because it took Dario and I a little, uh, a little while before we started getting that kind of mindset and, and type yeah. of thinking. Yeah, like you kind of have to... Um... I mean, there's some people who obviously do it quicker. Some people jump in right away, knowing what they know. Uh, maybe they were trained better than me. Uh, I I always joke that I actually started Tripwire in the the like back ass like or ass backward way possible, which was not spending a ton of time in the industry uh, and then starting a company. That's what most people do, right? They 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 work maybe anywhere from like two to ten years in the industry. They go, this is I'm going to do it a little different. This is how I'm going to do it with all the knowledge and the training that I have. That's that's pretty much how we did it. We just got <clears throat> as soon as we finished university, we just were like, okay, let's start our company. We did, yeah. and then we were. I, I feel like we've said this before. It did feel like we were two freelancers just collaborating on projects, but yeah. I feel like we had the exact same. Well, there uh, you go. Yeah. So you know that, like, uh, it was just like you know when I tell uh, actually I teach a uh, a media entrepreneurship uh, course at uh, at Red River College now in in Winnipeg and. I joke that uh, it's just a whole bunch of cautionary tales of really not what to do, but what not to do. Uh, and so um, as you kind of like, you know, when you start, you're just doing something just like kind of any, um, any creative uh, uh, venture, whether it's painting or music or something, is you really kind of just start with trying to do the things that you like, that you think are cool, that will help you learn uh, things that are different. Uh, but then you start realizing that, um, that you know, it's obviously not about you, it's about the client. And actually, it's not really about the client, it's actually about their client or their viewer or their audience member, which is a good distinction to make. And that took a little while. Um, so I, I would say like kind of the first couple of years, we were just uh, fumbling our way through, kind of learning. Luckily, there's a lot of need for you know, um, this, uh, uh, this uh, skill set. Uh, we, we started in 2009 when you know, we had kind of a perfect storm of uh, DSLRs uh, becoming a big thing. Um, Facebook and YouTube really taking a, a rise and the uh, need for uh, or the availability of bandwidth. So you could actually start sharing larger files and that kind of stuff in HD turning around. So uh, we were able to screw around for a while without uh, going completely out of business, although we had one of those almost go out of business kind of arcs in our story as well. But it was probably about 2012 and 13 where I really had this kind of moment it's kind of like having little uh, corners to the stairwell of your life, to, of your career. And I had hit a corner 
and went, hey, I feel like I've been editing the same video again and again. We're going and we're interviewing, you know, the CEO and we're getting a video of their their uh, employees working and some establishing shots outside. And we talk about how many employees they have and blah, blah, blah. And we're all happy about it. And then it goes, they throw it online and not only does it not really connect, but they don't do anything with it. So we kind of got frustrated with that. So we decided to redefine ourselves. And the two big areas in around 2015 was storytelling, storytelling training, the art and science of storytelling. So um, I really dove headfirst into muse storytelling and and, uh, started a relationship with Patrick Moreau and all those guys. I ended up coaching and executive producing some stuff with them for a while. Uh, And then the back end strategy of it even the process that we didn't have, um, being when we started growing to 10, 11, 12, it was a, it was a uh, house of cards built upside down. Like I just kept piling stuff on and it would be like every day, like, Hey, what, 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 what's the shoot we're going to like, Oh shoot. Yeah. Yeah. You can't read my mind. Okay. And, um, there was no scheduling. There was no input or output. And depending on who was working on the project, it would be different. So, you know, we had to build our process. Um, So that was really important. And there's obviously the production process and then the client experience process. So that's been the last three years. And that's really what I think is is keeping us going um, and and adding that brand value that maybe some of the smaller companies can't necessarily tout. Um, But of course, there's there's pros and cons to both. Sorry, I ramble system. a lot if you didn't know. No, no, no. Hey, hey I, I, I mean, there was so much here to unpack. Like, dude, yeah, number one that. was that that point where you said you almost went out of business like that. I, yeah. I want to explore for sure. But for sure, going, going back to the ending part, like you're right, like systems are so key to being able to scale. And we've yeah. had other guests come on and say, like, you need to develop a system. Otherwise, again, you're just you're just Joe Schmo working. Yeah, day, you're day to a day. GWC, <laughs> a guy with a camera. Right. And like, yeah. oh, that's um, funny. And, uh, and we actually, I don't know about you guys, like one of the most common questions we get by, uh, asked by our client, usually on a first call or a second call is what is your process? Um, and I mean, you can easily just go, well, we do, uh, you know, pre-production and then production and post. Um, but when you can get a little deeper and really explain, um, you know, what we would consider a unique process and walk them through that. That instills confidence, especially when we're trying to work with larger companies that need to know that stuff. When you're working with other entrepreneurs or smaller organizations, they don't really care. They just go like, I need a video. Your videos are beautiful. Can you make me one? But when you've got a lot of uh, people's not only money, but also their role or their careers, uh, you know, kind of uh, riding on it, they need extra confidence in that. And while you're actually explaining that stuff, you're also building a lot of trust. Um, so we do a lot upfront on client education and, you know, getting in front of the client and walking them through our process. We actually, um, did a, uh, what is it? Um, like we, we basically sent out a survey to about 40 of our clients last year and asked what their priorities were, what they care about the most. And you would, you would think obviously visuals and maybe price, but those actually were way lower than, um, uh, communication and process and experience. Those were the top ones. Yeah, I feel like everybody always forgets about the client experience. Everybody's always so focused on how they on their processes for their video content. Yeah, that yep. sometimes the way they deliver it to the client or the way they communicate with the client gets overlooked a little bit. Uh, you know, like not answering emails on time. Yeah, uh, or 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 taking a little bit longer than expected. And like you said, you know, when they ask you what your process is. You can easily say pre-production, production, or post, but you have to really dive in and explain every part of the process because no one knows what those words mean. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it's not that they don't know, but 
you're no, they don't know. They they don't know. No, they don't know. Assume that they don't because why? You have to assume they don't. Yeah, and you know, you say things even like B roll, and they're like, oh, what's B roll? And you're like, yeah, of course. Why should you know necessarily what B roll is? Like, you should talk at the level that you would expect them to understand. And and that's that's the other part actually that has saved our asses a lot more and really it's not only just the process that we have, but it's the process that we expect them to follow so that we can meet their deadline. So we have this saying that we go like, we, we move as fast as you do. So when they go, how long does it take? I'm like, well, how long can you get feedback from? Because you'll destroy, and you guys, I'm sure will be used to this, big, big rushes. And then um, you send out that first draft and they take three weeks to get back to you. And so if you haven't set that process or those expectations or got them to agree at the beginning that, hey, uh, for us to do our job, you have to do yours. And here are all the milestones uh, and points of approval. The goal for us is not necessarily that we always have to make that deadline. The goal for us, though, is that if they fall behind in any way, that they're the ones changing the deadline rather than us even having to go to them to change it for them. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's just a a huge part of it. And it's been um, really, really helpful for us. We're always you know, we're always still kind of like tripping over it a little bit. There's still, it's very nuanced and it's creative and it's people, you know, you can't follow it to a T as you would maybe in, in something a little more, um, you know, uh, technical, but uh, so it, it needs to flex as well. Like if you're too rigid in yeah. it, that's also yeah. a problem. It's like, more like you know, a guideline. It's not, right. it's not a rule. Uh, I, it, I was wondering it though. It sets for the your... expectations. It yeah. sets the expectations essentially. One hundred percent. If you can, the earlier you set it, and the more you know, we always like kind of just saying like you know, once you if you assume something, the word the, the moment we hear the word assume, we're like like on our team, we're like no 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 no, let's let's, let's assume nothing. That's actually going to be we're rebranding our, our uh, values, and that's one I want to be of the core values. Assume, assume nothing. Assume nothing. <laughs> I like that. That's, that's really yeah. good, actually. How how detailed do you get? in terms of explaining your process to the client because for us um lately we we've actually sat down and developed the whole like a to z type of process for for dealing with our clients because before yeah it was in our head but now we we've actually put it on paper and we detailed each of the steps that we go through like so for example for our sales process we have like like five or six steps right but like i'm wondering when you're explaining to your clients and you're setting their expectations, like how detailed do you get within those steps? It's somewhat subjective uh, to understanding that client on that first kind of discovery call where you really try to find out what is important to them, especially also what do they know? So we actually built our process. I, I luckily, my uh, VP of uh, uh, creative operations worked at SAP building processes on top of already directing and, you know, uh, uh, and uh, uh, DOP and films for 30 years. Uh, He's, uh, he's lived like 20 lives. Um, but uh, so we, we have it like, like pages upon pages of inputs and outputs. We rarely show that if ever show that to a client, but we can, if we really want to just like kind of wow them going like, this is all the work that goes on behind. Um, so what we tend to do usually is we boil that down into either a, a couple of infographics. One can be like really the, it's about what, seven big steps from the uh, the sales process or the, 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 you know, what are we doing uh, before they sign off, which is actually really important to define, especially in time. We found out like in the last couple of years, you know, like, so we say our, our general amount of time for turning around a video three months, you know, if we don't know much else, uh, we can do it quicker and often it takes longer, but um, we just kind of set that. And, uh, and then people go, great. That's exactly the amount of time we need. 
And then and all of a sudden, when we're ready to go, we only have like, we have, we're already behind. We couldn't figure it out. And we realized that from the point of a phone call to the point of a green light, the average uh, time of that is about four to five weeks. And we went, oh yeah, that's, that's a big part of the process that we were just ignoring. So, I mean, we, we definitely will show client milestones we actually like to show where you where they have uh where a we need their input but b also like here are the levels of um uh, of, of of feedback that we'll need and when you'll be notified especially so that by the time you get to you know that v1 edit or that you know like there shouldn't be any really big surprises um we're really trying to make sure that they are approving all of the stuff in creative development uh, rather than looking at it with, uh, you know, their eyes actually, or their, their discerning eyes for the first time on a first cut, second cut, or getting, you know, the boss to look at it for the first time going, oh, this is all wrong, or we're missing a part. So um, that's really helped. So it, again, yeah, like it, it, we always usually go through it in a, we go through it sometimes in a discovery call, and definitely put it in our pitch deck. And we insist on doing our pitches of a certain uh, price or higher, uh, we we insist kind of on doing it um, online uh, to walk them through it so that we can kind of really explain ourselves and again kind of add adds value adds personality adds trust those kinds of things so it kind of serves a few purposes but um, yeah that's you know we we obviously don't show them the whole you know back end of it because that's just you know it's kind of like you know trying to sell someone a car and then showing them like the uh the uh the electronic makeup of the motherboard or something like that they don't care <laughs> so they just want to know it gets them from point a to b and it looks cool exactly does it work will it achieve it will it achieve my goals yeah and well yeah i mean that's one of the things right like uh i try to do it I, i'm still not as good at it but you also like you want to find the pain point obviously of the the, the people that they the video needs to serve so that you have a good creative idea but you also want to try and figure out the pain point of the client to go like, what is, what is it that you're looking for? Are you looking for um, the lowest price? Are you looking for having this off your plate completely so that you need someone who you, who you can trust? Are you looking to look good? Are you looking to uh, drive sales in that way? So like you can kind of figure out what those pain points are so that you're coming forward. So when they're really caring about the trust of, I have to make sure that the CEO is happy with this, then you know, we spend a little more time maybe with process than we do about talking about like investment or ROI potential if sales is a big part. Exactly. And what, one thing you mentioned was that uh, uh, was about the, the time it takes to, to go from, for example, a lead to actually getting the green light to move forward with the project. On average, how, how long do you do you see it taking like two, three weeks roughly or? Yeah. Um, I mean, so what we try to do is, um, I think you get to a certain point where the, the 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 problem actually what used to be the thing you wanted the most becomes then the problem where you get too much that comes in or at least a lot of tire kickers a lot of uh bad fits uh those kinds of things so we actually kind of really you know there's a lot of people and i don't i don't i don't criticize it at all because it saves a lot of time there's there's not there's not one way to do it but so you know they get on a 30 minute call and they go okay i have a general idea of what you want i'll send you a quote here you go it's a one pager or two pager or something like that um, we really uh, believe in, and this actually goes against some of the the Blair Ends training that I that I uh, have done. If you guys know Price and Creativity, which is a great resource, um, but um, um, we we have a um, a vetting call. So it's usually getting on a call to assess really budget timeline and fit. Um, we're always trying to get budget, and I know that's a hard thing to do. Um, but when they say we don't have one, I start throwing out kind of some general numbers to see. You know, if they either go like, yeah, that's cool. Let's move forward with that. 
Um, or if they do the thing where, you know, it's like when you go into a store and you see that $500 pair of pants and you're like, cool, 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 cool. And you kind of like walk around <laughs> for a little bit, you know, try to save face and then like back out. Um, so we kind of, we save ourselves a lot of time there because we actually, our pitch document is quite a, uh, several levels of process to the point where we do a discovery. We understand again, the goal, the audience, the need. Uh, to, to at least a high level point. We then uh, build either a, a service request if it's if we're not doing the creative or a creative brief, if we are, that goes to our writers who then build a treatment that goes then to either our animators or our uh, uh, head, of cine, uh, head of production to, um, to scope it. That comes back to me. We put it into a pitch. We get onto a call. I'll usually make adjustments and, and change some things and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so it's a bit of a process and it's unfortunately you know, not the quickest turnaround, which we used to be more nimble on, but it allows us to handle a more uh, volume, but also spend more time to make sure we're coming to them with the right thing. We, we often find like, you know, sometimes our advantages, we actually landed a, a large client when we said it was an RFP, which we usually don't answer, but this one was close to me. And we said, you, you don't have the right information in here. So here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. And here's what we can quote on in ranges. But if, and I actually say, I'm like, if anyone is coming to you with a definitive number uh, and a scope, they're a, they're, they're cart ahead of the horse right now. They're, they, they haven't done, they haven't listened properly because you know, so often the client says, we need this, 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 and this. And, and not to be a dick, but you go like, do you? Are you sure? Why? And you get down and you just, you, you just guide them through. Like, well, what is the purpose? What is the, you know, what is the, what do you need them to do? What do you need them to feel? And then when you go like, oh, we need, we need uh, people to care about our culture. Okay, well, then is it uh, hearing from the CEO, as an example, is that the best way to get culture across or telling a story of someone who loves their job or, or multiple people, you know, those kinds of things. So we usually lead them through that process uh, so that they can actually almost arrive at it themselves. And we're building value at the same time by doing so. Um, so we're not we're not ever trying to, you know, you know, throw shade on any other organization, but we're just trying to show our value versus theirs. And hopefully that's something that sticks with them. If it comes down to price and price alone, then it kind of works out that, you know, we're not the cheapest, we're not the most expensive, but we don't, we're not, we're not in it just for the money. We're, we're in it for the impact. And if they care only about money, then it's probably going to be a problem for us collectively down the road anyway. So it's, it's usually when we have those vetting points uh, at the beginning, it, it saves us all a lot of time and grief. We have a similar, our, our process is similar to yours. Yours is obviously a lot more detailed, uh, but we do the same thing with the intro call. Like as soon as we, we get, uh, they fill out the form on our website and, and, and it gets to us, we immediately give them a call and we just have a quick 15 minute call just to introduce, get introduced. And then again, see like high level overview of what they want. Is it even doable for us? And then if it is like, do they have the money? And we're pretty upfront. We ask like, look, you selected this, like I make sure I ask, like you selected this option, is this correct? And then I, if it works, it's like, okay, that, that works, we can go to the next step. Because again, the worst thing you can get is a time waster, right? So the, you yeah. got to figure out right off the bat, like, do you have the money for this? And it's not, I think a lot of creatives are, are afraid to ask, especially early <laughs> on, but you get to a point where you start to get enough of them, enough leads that you go like, I don't have time to waste. Like you either have the money or you don't. Like, it's not just that. It's not just that though. It's, it's, it's kind of also what you said, Doug, that uh, it's the value. Uh, do you both also share the same values or, or are you both committed to this project? A lot of the time, it's not so much budgetary issues when I'm talking to a lead that I disagree with them or I feel like this is not worth 
uh, our time. It's more so if they're really putting in the effort for this project or they want this project to succeed, I can tell if they're actually feeling it. Budget is usually a good way to determine if it's a good monetary uh, uh, kind of, how do you say, attribute to determine if they're doing that. But sometimes uh, they may have the money, they may have this, but then you can tell that they're very demanding yep. to the point where was, we demand you to give us this, give us this, give us this exactly like this. It's like, oh, you don't want to hear how we work necessarily. Then I think I think we yeah. can go our separate ways at this point. Uh, yeah, both are right. And we're, we're assessing for both, right? Like, because there have been times where, you know, one big red flag, of course, is like, listen, you guys are the, you, you know, anytime they say you guys are the experts, you come, I don't really want to have any involvement in it, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, they always do. Um, or if you're, you're right, if they're really demanding, or they're really rude, or they're really overconfident and going like, this is what I need, and blah, blah, blah. And we could kind of go like, yeah, it's just not a good fit. We've walked away from ones where it's just almost more personality based that are like, you're going to be a problem. Or we have, you know, if I, you know, to be candid, like we, we add a PETA tax, right? A pain in the ass. Like we're like, all right, if we're going to do it, we're at least going to have to make it profitable. And usually you, we have, <laughs> we have thrown up some high numbers and then they're like, yeah, sounds good. We're like, oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> you're stuck now. Yeah. You call my bluff. But, um, but, but uh, the, I, I'm an, I'm a big analogy guy. And like, you know, I think one way to, you know, for anyone who's listening, who really has a tough time asking about budget, because I'm, it's so funny, I'm, I'm the sales guy here. And I hate talking about money. I'm in, I'm should not be in this position, but I have to be. And, uh, and so I, you know, I say, it's like, you know, when people go, well, we don't know what it costs at all. And I'm like, okay, cool. But it's kind of like asking me to build you a house. You know, what, if I can show you a shack, and I can show you a mansion, but if you give me in a range of where you're at and uh and 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 you know what your expectation is then we can at least build something for that it's we always try to make it in their benefit rather than like how much you got um uh, and then we'll we'll tell you what it costs exactly that um so there's ways to kind of explain that we you know always try to explain it in the best interest because we can then bring something to you that will fit in and around your budget we could either bring you options or blah 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 um sometimes we'll also send ranges of work that we've done just again to kind of see if they're they're down with that. Um, um, but yeah, I actually learned this from like uh, Ryan uh, Coral from uh, Studio Sherpas, but like he, he asked the question is like, what's the best way to get the budget? Ask them their budget. Uh, and when they don't, you can actually either start putting ranges for yourself or you're not comfortable with that. Start going, okay, well, where is it? Like, are you at 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand, 100? And they'll usually stop you at some point. Like, we definitely can't go over 50 grand. You go, okay. So I'll probably be building things under there. And then you can, or if they go, we definitely can't go over five and you go, okay, well, just so you know, most of our things start at X. And so this is probably not going to be a good fit. And then what we always try to do is introduce them to a freelancer or like a strategic partner who would be happy to do that work and do it at a smaller level. Um, so with that, we don't just kind of leave them high and dry, but I think you've done it enough. We've done, we've done it enough. There's nothing worse than spending a ton of time building this concept and putting together a pitch and here you go. Yay. And they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. We only have a thousand bucks. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I really should have found that out first. Shouldn't have I? And of course they couldn't tell me. And of course they always have it, whether they say they don't or not, they know what they're working with to a general degree. It's not that they're being devious, but they also don't want to necessarily give it away because you know, the trust isn't necessarily there yet. So building that trust and explaining why you need to know the budget is, is very helpful for us. We, we, we stopped, to be honest, we stopped having a lot of like, we, we, they don't know their budget type of issues as soon as we, cause most of our leads are coming from Google, right? So they have to go to our website and they have to fill out our 
contact form, right? And before we had, we had uh, um, not sure as one of the options for the budget. And that's when we started getting like such a big influx of leads, which was great at first, right? Because we were working on our SEO. We're like, yeah, it's working. We're getting all these leads. But then like 99% of them were like, oh yeah, I have like a thousand bucks. And we weren't, we weren't finding out until like you said, like after like a call or two. And then it got to a point where we were like, okay, we got to set like, if you're contacting us, this is the minimum it starts at. So they would know right away there, right? And that, that was like the biggest vetting uh, process we've ever had it was just filtering them out right on the website themselves. I'm totally like, stealing right, that right idea. At that point. Yeah. And, and yeah. from that point on, like, I, I would say like nine out of 10 leads that we have coming to us, like they, they already know their budget ranges. And again, like once we do have that intro call with them, like you start, you selected this, it'll start at this, but what's, are you, we always ask, like, are you flexible on it? Like, cause if there's more stuff involved, can you, do you have it more money for that? And usually they, they've almost always said yes, or they either say no, like this is like our absolute limit for it. And that's like, okay, we can either work within it or we can't. Even then when they to- say their absolute limit, it often is not. You find that it often not, is not, not all the time. Either. Yeah. 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 Not all the time, especially when they start adding things later. It's like, okay, that's your limit with what you asked for originally yeah. but if you keep <laughs> adding things okay you're gonna have to increase that limit but uh yeah by adding that that filter it also actually gets a lot i i know that this this is what happens it gets all the the leads thinking about it right off the get-go it's like oh i oh maybe i do have to think about uh how much i can allocate before i reach out to anybody this i haven't been asked this question because a lot of the time sometimes people think to themselves, this is what I need, but they don't think that far ahead in terms of what type of budget should I allocate? What is a good budget to allocate? These guys are saying it's usually minimum this much. Maybe I should talk to them to see what that typically entails. So it, it, it kind of opens the conversation also to, to help uh, have like educate the client a little bit more about what they should be expecting, not just from us, but from anyone else. Don't just go for a company that is a yes company. We will do it oh, for yeah. whatever. We'll we'll figure it out. No problem. We're not going to ask questions. Whatever you want, we'll do it. It's like let us ask you a few questions to start thinking about it a little bit more in depth. That's that's the distinction of a good uh, production partner. Well, and that's why I hate RFPs, especially the ones that yeah. are they don't allow you to talk to them. And it's like, well, then great. Like you're just literally basing it on arbitrary information that is being stored uh, with out the whole picture but yeah so just quickly question like do you guys just have like uh is it i guess i could look at it myself but like is it a multiple choice that doesn't go lower than like let's say 10 grand or something like that or is it so well for us it's like uh there's different pricing options so it's uh yeah there's a 75 to 10 option there's a 10 to 15 15 to 25 and the next one is 25 plus so we have like those options right off the bat it's like okay we're catering to we're not doing anything under 75 yeah Yeah. no it doesn't make sense right yeah and there are ranges the the goob factor the get out of bed (laughs) yeah exactly yeah Yeah. you have a lot of these acronyms i've noticed yeah the goob you know it's uh (laughs) it's just acronyms and uh and uh analogies over here acronyms and films that's how that's how it is that could be a production company name yeah there you go um, let's talk a bit about team, your team. Yeah. Cause you, you have a, you have a very big team <laughs> and, uh, I know a lot of, a lot of guests are curious as to like, you know, how do you grow a team and, and what kind of systems did you have in place for that, for it to be like, you know, manageable and sustainable. Cause 
you don't want to grow your, your team too fast to the point where, you know, you can't pay any enough people. You got to start cutting back because then, you know, people took a chance on you and now you got to let them go. So how did you go about your hiring process and just your, your team building process? Yeah, the, the, the way that we grew is kind of uh, it was it really was in a way of like when I started getting too busy, I then started hiring people for the things that either I didn't want to do or the things I didn't think I was as good at. So that it would then free me up to kind of, again, uh, you know, either, you know, at first it was just to edit more. So I or had someone help me edit and I could direct more and, and have someone shoot. Um, the other, you start looking at like, where are my expenses going on either freelance and that kind of stuff? Does it make sense to bring that in house a little more? Um, it is, you know, it's the best and worst, obviously having a larger team. I even know like a lot of the, the big production companies in LA and, and Toronto full-time don't have more than 10 people. Um, and because I think we, we have such a, a, a different or such a range of content that we make, um, so we don't do just big commercial and we don't do just small content. Um, it's really good to have, uh, people who are there, uh, ready to take in extra work. And I think a lot of it actually came from me not being able to say no very well. Uh, so it was, you know, I know a couple of other companies here in Winnipeg who, you know, the owner is still the DOP or the director. There's maybe three or four people in support and they just pick and choose, uh, the work that they do, which is. Sometimes I really go like, that's, that's the sweet spot. Um, but I just, I really like, you know, at the core of my essence, I like to help people. So I have a tough time saying no uh, to, to helping organizations and colleagues out. And so I just kept adding more people. Um, and then the burden of that, of course, is filling the overhead and filling the work. And sometimes you have to say yes to work that I kind of say keeps the lights on, but it also allows us to act really, really quickly. Um, when, you know, we, we try to, get our clients to plan as quick as or as long as possible but there is just always going to be rush jobs there's always going to be uh things that are needed and the fact that i've got you know a team ready to go for the most part or at least that uh work is being done um uh, and that they're able to help me find the team um is really helpful so it also kind of frees me up a little bit more i you know doing it out over 10 years one of my goals was to take a little bit of a backseat uh, I actually am not on set that much anymore. I don't really edit that much anymore. And as, as much as I miss that to a certain degree, I also have a young family. Um, I like having some free time. And so I've kind of tried to build it in a way that um, there's a little more balance versus the 14, 15, 16 hours that you were doing every day and the weekends that were gone and all that kind of stuff. So um, it kind of comes based on need. Uh, I've only had to let people go uh, from, uh, from a sales uh, perspective once, and that was the pandemic. So um, you know, so far so good, but we probably were now really kind of going like anything to add on top of it. I was, I was trying to scale to 25 before the pandemic and realizing that, you, you know, in Winnipeg, it's a pretty small market. Uh, we have work outside of it, but unlike say like the GTA where you can't find work in Toronto, well, you can find it in, you know, 10 other cities around it. Um, there's really, there's, it's a landlocked Island in Winnipeg. So we're kind of hitting a little bit of a, uh, a ceiling here and it's, it's tougher to expand out uh, being that there's just not as much business. So we know that we, we still hire, you know, we still hire quite a few freelancers um, especially when we're crewing up uh, when, you know, we don't have in-house grips and, you know, sound guys and stuff like that. Um, but uh, we want to kind of keep it to the core team that we know we need in-house that benefits us by having it in-house. Uh, and then um, knowing that we're able to scale with work 
uh, only on contracts and, 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 you know, kind of, uh, day-to-day, -day, uh, freelance. So that's, we're kind of, we're kind of at the sweet spot have been for probably the last couple of years and probably don't intend on really going much higher than that, unless something huge changes, or we get some sort of like two-year contract with a ton of content and it makes sense to hire another project manager or hire another editor or those kinds of things. Do you, do you foresee yourself like optimizing your team structure going forward then? Like since you're already at the limit, you see maybe like, okay, trimming the fat off a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I always up. have to look at that. Um, I actually just like literally the other day, I'm like, I got to relook at our uh, structure and you know, you're supposed to build your structure without anyone in mind. That's really hard to do because you're dealing with lives. I could easily build it in a way that maybe makes one or two people obsolete. Um, but then you see the value that they bring as well. Um, uh, but you're, you're right. I, I do need to, I, I built, I have a very odd structure to be honest, because I, a lot of my training kind of came up in, um, in, in, in agency work and I didn't have a lot of experience in, uh, production uh, houses or anything like that. So I actually went and visited sandwich video in LA and we compared our, our structures and he's like, yeah, yours is crazy. And I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a little weird. We have a full accounts division. Most production companies don't have accounts. They have, you know, producers, uh, who obviously are client liaisons and then they kind of, you know, uh, run the team. It's usually kind of like a two prong. We have a three prong system, which is, um, you know, kind of divided into, you know, sales and accounts and client experience, and then a director of operations who manages really the creative and the production. So it's a, it's a little odd. Uh, I could, you know, it works fine as is. I might look at maybe uh, putting that together a little bit more or going a little more traditional, um, but we'll see. And then we're looking at getting more into original work just to throw uh, a wrench into everything. So that'll be fun too. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. So if you're uh, for, for companies that are just starting out or that are looking at developing their teams further how would yeah. you recommend that they go about it because you you already have like like you said like a three-prong approach but let's say your company like like uh like like our company where it's Carol and I that are running it and in the future we want to start adding like a team to it how would you recommend we go about it yeah I mean I I, I don't have a business degree even though I did teach media entrepreneurship um the way I kind of look at it is what is you know what is holding you guys back from 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 uh, a enjoying the work that you do and b building and, and and increasing the work. So if if it's like, well, I hate I hate the sales side of it or I hate the client side of it. Great, get get a, a client relations person or or someone who can really drive business or a producer who's really good with people, uh, and then you're focused on the creative. I myself kind of got more and more out of the creative as I tried to get better people. I'm still the executive creative director, but I wanted to find better shooters and better animators uh, than me because I was just kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, and uh, and so I always just kept finding the stuff. And then, you know, by the time we were about four, I'm like, wow, I have to manage all this. I have to, there's kind of HR components, financial components. So I then hired an office manager to kind of run that stuff for me. And again, it freed me up to do the stuff that I love. Um, so I don't think there's one, any right way uh, to do it. I will say, though, the hardest hire is the first hire, um, because it's the first time you're really committing to a very large expense and you're not sure if it's going to work or not. You can always start someone on a three month contract, um, although, you know, when you hire someone full time, you actually have legally three months to, uh, you know, you can you can um, uh, let it go or, or, or part ways within three months for no reason. But there's there's ways to go about it. We we did it incorrectly. Our first hire was like a guy uh, who we hired him for 40 hours of freelance a week, guaranteed. 
Uh, that is technically illegal, um, but you know you can get away with it for a while. We never got busted, but you know you need to be paying into CPP and EI and all that kind of jazz. So, yeah, I always like it's it's a, it's a it might not be the the best, but it, it feels like a simple approach is find the things you you don't like doing, find the things you want to spend more time doing, and then find someone to supplement that, uh, and then see how that goes. In terms um, and of now the- I'm wondering. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Carol. I was just going to say, now I'm wondering if we had a long project that was maybe, say, a full month and we hired the same freelancer for every single day, would would that technically be illegal then as well? Or? <laughs> I think it's something like, um, you know, if they work 30 hours a week, you know, for a certain amount of time. Um, and I mean, like, obviously, it's like, you know, there's, you know, you hire a DOP for a film, obviously, well, maybe they actually do get higher. I don't know the, the HR yeah, yeah. The legal stuff behind <laughs> it. Uh, I always uh, defer to, to all the other people who, who know way better, but it also then comes down to, you can also do it in a, in a form of investment. So it's like, Hey, we want to do more of this type of work. So we know that if we're going to, you know, if you set your goals and going like, we want to build this amount of business, we know that if we get that, we're going to need, uh, a person to support, whether it's a, you know, a, a, a videographer or it's a, an editor or whatever. Um, and you can kind of build it so they will come as, as an option as well. I've, d- I've done that successfully a couple of times. We really wanted to do more animation. We needed to be able to supplement it. So we, we really bolstered, bolstered up our animation. I've also hired and failed and being okay with failure is a big, big part. It's also, again, something I teach in the course. It's just like, be okay with it. We, we try to do strategy for video as a service. I hired a guy that, um, you know, was not cheap uh, to build it. And we didn't really make a dollar off it. He worked on it for three quarters of a year. It wasn't doing what it needed to do. There was a, you know, and so I just had to kind of, I had to kind of chop it off and, and, and rebuild uh, and re regroup with myself and my team and go, okay, now what are we going to do? And being okay, like, hey, yeah, we lost money, but that's part of it. I actually have a massive drone hanging in effigy in our hallway. It was one of the first ones in the city. It's one of those big, massive quadricopters that you had to be like a skilled RC pilot to fly. And, (laughs) you know, it was $30,000 after everything. And, uh, and, um, and, you know, rather than kind of like, you know, trash it office space style, we kind of hang it up there to kind of remind ourselves that you can get past failures and failures just part of it. What let, let's look at <clears throat> let's look at work like how do you how do you how, how are you um developing work culture like because you do want your yeah. employees to be like happy working at, at your company right so what do you do to kind of make them happy or make them we literally want uh, to work there yeah we literally actually just had a uh, half day retreat where we sent everyone to an indoor beach facility to play a bunch of games um so that's a part of it culture is you know some people uh, go like crazy on it and and then some people don't do anything and i think there's somewhere kind of in the middle especially as a small company um you know you need to uh make sure that um so uh sorry um, there's a handful of things that we do is a uh, i do check-ins with everyone every quarter whether they report to me or not um that's really you know there's value in just being able to have those candid conversations it doesn't mean i, I can you know I, i'll take the information and then send it to whoever their kind of direct report is um, so that's really good. We do a Monday morning meeting um, and a uh, so that's where we kind of go through a few things, maybe, uh, you know, uh, o- uh, go over some sort of process or do a little bit of education. And then we have a Thursday afternoon wind down. It used to be on Fridays, but then kind of with pandemic and, and even summer and stuff like that, it was tough to make everyone kind of meet on the end of a Friday. 
Um, and so that's where we watch a video that we did and we actually kind of use it as a case study and we walk through it and we kind of, you know, uh, cathartically talk about the challenges we had, the successes that we had. And um, I think it really puts everyone in a good uh, headspace. Um, aside from that, you know, just trying to have fun where we can, um, trying to keep things relatively light. Uh, even our kind of our conversational tone uh, for the brand is, you know, online to be um, really kind of friendly and not too professional. Um, so I think that kind of helps. And then, of course, we we, we become remote, uh, sorry, uh, uh, hybrid. Um, and we're finding the balance in the value of being able to work from home sometimes and the value about being here to work with people, to uh, um, um, collaborate, uh, you know, to have those uh, those creative meetings where you feed off of one another. Um, that's really, really valuable. So we're trying to figure that out. I actually had a, a town hall like a week ago, being that we are, uh, our lease is coming up on this place. We have way too much space, especially for now uh, that we, uh, you know, we're not here all the time. And I'm like, what do you guys want? Like, you know, what helps? And um, I found out that actually people do like coming downtown. I thought if we found somewhere that was easier to commute to, um, might be better or you know they're like they see so much value about being in the exchange district which is kind of like this old neighborhood with lots of restaurants and stuff that it made me reconsider what I'm going to do um, and so being able to listen to them and have those meetings while still being a leader and, and making the decisions not based on what they want uh, has been uh, really helpful so I'm always trying uh, it's not easy uh, it's tough to be happy and uh, and energetic when you're not on the inside um, but that's part of leadership. Has remote working like changed the uh the <clears throat> sorry has has remote working uh changed like the collaboration or creativity of your teams or have you found that it made no difference um i think that i mean one of the great things about uh uh about being remote is it does make things a little more intentional and so your time together is a little more intentional uh and that we're okay getting on a call no matter where everyone is uh, especially when people were available kind of all the time. So there was a more connectivity as well as like, we had already gotten onto teams prior to this, but then we really obviously started using it for communication. Uh, and so we, you know, it really helps make sure that everyone's on the same page versus, you know, what used to be more just conversations and things would happen without may maybe being kind of written down. People were missed, uh, decisions were made when not everyone was being considered. So that's, that's really been great. We're, you know, you're, we're pretty task-based here. So like, and we're small enough to go like, if someone's really shit in the bed um, or, 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 you know, screwing the pooch here a little bit, um, uh, y y you'll notice, right? And, uh, and we don't even do really any uh, crazy time tracking, but like we, you know, they quote time, we have deadlines, all this kind of stuff. Um, so uh, I think it's actually helped, uh, especially when we've got people who like, you know, our writer who buses 45 minutes each way, he can now do the same thing he does at home. And that even being private and being able to be focused is really helpful. One of the challenges prior as well is like when there's enough of us here, people can walk in through your, you know, you can lose your day just have, having kind of random uh, casual meetings and people coming in, hey, can I talk to you about this, blah, blah, blah. So it's a lot more intentional when you're talking online. And then the flip side, though, is again, yeah, being able like I hate creative meetings online um, that like, oh, what? Oh, did you? Oh, uh, oh, sorry. You. Yeah. OK, no, your turn. Like it's really hard versus like when we're at a whiteboard going, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. And what else? Like you're, you're just you're talking over each other in a really good way. So um, having that balance has been really helpful. And, and the two days a week and three days optional uh, has so far been really successful for us. And we're hoping uh, we're, we're really not looking at changing that anytime soon. Have you um, 
like because Carol and I is just is just us two right now and anytime we have conflicts we're able to settle them pretty quickly I'm just wondering when you're dealing with a team as big as yours have you had to deal with any conflicts uh, conflict resolutions like how did you go about those does that, oh, does that even happen at all or oh all the time man oh it's uh it, it you know I mean like uh all of us uh didn't get into this most of us didn't get into this to manage people uh, it is it is tough, um, and I, I I don't want to slight anybody who's here, but everyone has a need, and when you have a lot of people, like they're they're trying to you know build their own careers, their own work, all this kind of stuff. There's going to be disagreements, and then how is it being handled? Um, there are a lot more meetings that need to happen. Like with me and my VP, we meet once a week for an hour to talk about any challenges we're having. We need to make sure that we're also following the process. We're not. I'm not circumventing him. He, you know, other people aren't circumventing other people, uh, and uh, and that we're nipping it in the bud, and that we're having, you know, some some good discussion. So it is it is a big part of it. Uh, like any organization or any you know of our size or any family for that matter, uh, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be problems. Um, you know, and the other part that really sucks about this is when the problem is too much, you really have to let someone go. I remember my dad saying it was the worst part of his job when when he was working uh, in the financial uh, world. And I was so scared to start a company uh, or even add people because I, I knew that one day I would have to you know let someone go. And that just that that, that scared the crap out of me. And it still is the worst thing to do. Um, but when you do it, it's usually better for all parties. Uh, it's, it's good for obviously your well-being because you're losing sleep over it. It's better for them in the long run because obviously they're not happy or doing what needs to be done. And it's good for your team because obviously they're most likely pulling uh, uh, the extra weight off this person who is who is not uh, putting in their uh, their full commitment. So, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 nice to have. I do have an office manager slash HR person who handles a lot of this stuff. So again, it's one of those like I don't like dealing with this that much. I want to be kind of more on the the vision and the the building and working. Uh, you hear the the term working on the business rather than in the business. Um, so I, I have people to help with that and to help mediate that partially because I have a huge aversion to conflict, <laughs> which again is not a great, uh, uh, trait for a, for a leader, but, uh, actually is a common one. Um, so it's, it's, you know, trying to head things on without letting them go for too long. Um, but, but also, uh, you know, making sure that you're not reactive and that, you know, I, I just hear about like just terrible bosses or just people who just force their opinions and their ways through it. And it's, it's my way or the highway kind of bullshit. So that doesn't work either that you're not going to build any culture when they just feel like they're being told what to do when they're showing up and, you know, clocking in, clocking out. You have to go with the assumption of it being also like a collaborative approach with the people you work with. You can't, you can't be the judge, jury and executioner. Uh, because why did you even bring them in in the first place? You brought them in because they, they have a skill uh, and a mindset that you don't and they add value and always you have to remember that and obviously yeah you may have the final decision at times but if you got to make them feel that they're also collaborating with you even if it's just a freelancer that you're working with you brought them in because they're going to help you with this project so it's it's, it's good to be yeah it's it's one of the hardest things i've had to learn because when you're at smaller like you, you know at the beginning like you are calling all the shots and then you hire these people and so for some people it's like in your mind you're just like no now you're just doing you're helping me facilitate what i need to have done but they're not going to find value in that and i you know often as we started growing like you know i'd say what do you guys think i think we should do blah 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 and then you're like well great you just took the air out of the room 
by by basically putting your idea out there and they're like you want them to contradict that idea there's like uh simon sinek talks about leaders speak last right um so um you know trying not to take over trying not to be the one who talks all the time and i talk a lot uh, is is been a real exercise and letting you know even being like okay with things that I don't necessarily think is a great idea when it makes sense going like let's go with this let's try this giving them the 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 space and the breath to do that. Um, the other thing, by the way, that really is we're really trying to build is um, um, we've learned about kind of there's like this uh, a, a pie chart of of needs for employees, especially millennials, and one of them is, is really kind of extracurricular in, uh, impact that they have, and so we're trying to. We're doing something called 12 months of giving where we do something different that is involved and is measurable for a charity a different charity every month um and uh so that's been some really good team building um really kind of puts things in perspective for us as well when we're helping you know either uh people who um you know like habitat for humanity or people who need blood and like that kind of stuff and we're trying to come up with the even bigger uh charitable uh initiative that could, we can really own ourselves but that's you know something that i i'm hoping will really round out um the value because people people want to come to work now it's not like it used to be uh people want to come to work and know that they're making some sort of a difference or making some sort of an impact that there's some value it's not just that i show up to do my job and then i leave and then i i never think about it again people won't stick around for that so you have to be able to communicate vision um where are we going what are we headed and what are you know and so they know what they're working for so when you guys hire someone have a good idea of what they are actually contributing to. If you share a vision story of beyond like, yeah, you're editing pixels and putting words together. It's like, no, if you do this, you're going to help grow a company. You're going to help people's lives be better. Uh, like our clients, you know, depending on what the, the goal of your clients is, you're going to help them reach that goal. When they know that kind of stuff, what they're working towards, there's just, they work harder, they work better and, uh, and they care more and they show up uh, with, you know, better attitude, better energy. Um, so I, I often have to remind myself to, you know, a to have a good goal and good vision set out because I've been, you know, some guys have come to me before, like, you know, uh, we really don't know what we're working towards. We know we're just showing up every day and making content. I'm like, yeah, I haven't been communicating the vision very well. So I've been trying to really do that a lot more. And it's, it's weird because yeah, again, you're just in your head. And like, when you're a solopreneur, you're just going forward and, you know, everyone get out of my way. And then you need to actually now take a step back and let other people uh, do stuff. I think it was Richard Bronson who like really says like, you know, uh, you have to listen to everyone who works for you um, because if you don't, um, you're you're screwed. And there's a a, um, a book called Scaling Up that you really your goal is to be the dumbest in the room, not the smartest in the room. Uh, and if you're the dumbest in the room, you've really done your job because that means you've got people way better than you uh, doing work that you couldn't do yourself. Man, you okay for. For all of our listeners, why don't you recommend some books for us? Because you've already recommended like a couple. It seems yeah. like you have a list and I'm definitely interested in reading a lot of the books you've been reading. <laughs> so um, there are, uh, and I'll try and I'm not great at recall. My memory sucks, but actually you can probably see in the background, there's a binder right there. It's uh, it's called Pricing Creativity by Blair Enns. Blair Enns uh, is a, uh, if you haven't heard of him, uh, he's actually from originally from Winnipeg, but he he uh, is a consultant for agencies, um, and he really uh, teaches people how to have proper conversations about sales. So if you're you're looking to have a better approach to sales, um, he is amazing. He also has a podcast, not to talk about other podcasts here, uh, oh, that's called, fine. Two, that's fine. called Two Bobs with fine. David C. Baker, and I have learned so much from those podcasts. Um, checking out, they don't have books, but Muse Storytelling or um, um, 
uh, Studio Sherpas, really great training solutions. One's based on storytelling, the other one's a little more sales-based and how to kind of run your small organization. So there's some really great help there. Um, if you guys know who Terry O'Reilly is, um, he has a, a he he has a a, a CBC show uh, called um, um, uh, Under the Influence, and uh, he had he's written a couple of books. I'm trying to remember. It's the it's not his most recent book, but it's another book where I really got inspired a lot about the client experience uh, and storytelling and uh, all that uh, kind of stuff. So that's actually a book I hand to a lot of people when they start here. Um, and yeah, um, I'm trying to think of, yeah, there's a lot of books that I've half read. <laughs> it's my ADHD. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I kind of have a good idea with it. Um, for anyone who's listening, who has maybe like anywhere from like eight to 12 people, uh, there's a great book called Rocket Fuel, where you can really understand how you can be the visionary and then you need a secondary person called an integrator who's really your operations person. Um, yeah, th those are the ones that come to the top of my head. Uh, I also read the Dave Grohl book recently, which has nothing to do with this, but it is a really great read. Um, so <laughs> if, uh, if you want something um, just really fun, I, I, I haven't finished a book in a long time. I finished that on vacation the other day or the other week. So that was great. Okay, well... We we have a long reading list, eh, Carol? <laughs> long reading list, indeed. Yeah, uh, I have heard of two two other books, which is Start with Why, which is Simon Sinek, and I we use the Golden Circle all the time. I don't I haven't read the book, but I've heard really good things. And there's another one for uh, solopreneurs and, and start you know startups and stuff like that, or smaller companies called Profit First, um, which I've heard quite a bit about, um, and it's been recommended by several colleagues. Which really talks about like how to manage your money and how to like you know when when a lot of us start. We really just like, we're just trying to make sure that we're not in debt, but then you have to go like, well, what are you paying yourself? And you're just taking money, you know, from whatever's available. And well, no, you should be kind of more treated like an employee. And then there's a value to you. You should be entitled to a certain amount of money for, for doing what you do, because I, I would argue you can do it for passionate reasons only for only so much time. If you want to have a certain balance uh, and quality of life. And I'm not saying you have to be rolling in the dollars and stuff like that, but it's good to understand that profit isn't a dirty word. Uh, and if you profit, you can do everything from actually maybe, you know, uh, be a little more comfortable to reinvesting in your company, to hiring more people, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, getting more gear, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's a good, um, you know, financial literacy is a, is a thing that I had to learn as someone who was basically in credit card debt when I started this company and knew nothing about money. I had to really learn about, you know, everything from operations to, you know, like finance, I'm not by no means a financial advisor. I really still don't know most about it, but at least I understand kind of how to look at a spreadsheet and understand that, hey, yeah, okay, here's where my costs are. Here's where I can save money and here's where my profit margins are. So that's important stuff. It helps at least uh, to have that mindset. Yeah, we, we sure. started trading ourselves like employees, I think starting last year, we're like, hey man, like, yeah, we, we got to pay ourselves like a, a consistent salary and everything. And from we, we started, we became financially literate, I would say last year. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it, it's the right thing to do because otherwise you you are just kind of living like you got to treat it like a yeah. business. You got to be like a business yeah. owner. So it's, it's definitely good to, to think like that. Um, okay, so change. we are at the, sorry, I was just, I was gonna, just saying it, I was just saying that it just helps change the mindset as well when you're working, because if you're not getting, if you're not also paying yourself and you're technically not making money, the motivation sometimes can also waver at times. And that is 100%. one thing. Uh, to, yeah, that's right. It's a budgeted item. 
rather than you're just trying to like, hopefully we have some money left so I can pay my bills this next month. It's like, no, I have, I have a guaranteed amount and we have to budget along that. We know how much business yep. or how little business we need to take as a result. We need, you have overhead. You should have overhead. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's an important part. Okay, Doug. So we're just past the one hour mark. This has mm -hmm. been a very informative one. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. But no. before we end off, we always ask this to all of the guests. Uh, yeah. Why don't you tell us where you came up with the name Tripwire Media? Oh, <laughs> it's not that sexy. Uh, actually, uh, I had a business partner at, at, at the start. He had started a uh, an audio production company called Tripwire Productions. And then he asked me to join and we started Tripwire Media Group. Uh, being that a media group uh, sounds like a, a bigger deal than two people. And uh, he just liked the sound, the phonetic sound of Tripwire. You know, the hard T and the soft W uh it's uh you know it, it was it was just purely an aesthetic thing because i yeah it's kind of like it's a devious uh thing like a trip wire in in obviously in like the jungle oh, or yeah. something it's very <laughs> gotcha <explosive>. client <laughs> yeah yeah so there's, there's no uh you know even part of me when we rebranded uh in uh 2013 i'd consider changing the name and there was just enough brand awareness that it didn't make sense so it's like a band name right it just after a while at least for me it doesn't really it have just sticks have that meaning it's like you know like pearl jam or you know uh stone temple pilots <laughs> like it's just like i know i just dated myself there but um you know they just they they lose the meaning the literal meaning that they might mean um so yeah that's where it comes from so nice. so you had a business partner before like is he still yeah. around or no uh, i bought him out in uh, out. 2012 he decided to move on to some other things i have a business partner now kind of more of a uh, a small uh, minority shareholder who owns a uh, agency and so we became strategic partners he's now become one of like kind of my best friends and best advisors uh, but um, you know he's not working in the business so it's been really helpful to have advice to have someone to to bounce off it and we both have the same you know goals in a certain way and he's actually a very different person uh in a business sense and that is also really helpful for me i've never wanted to run a company by myself like solely so i've always had someone involved at some point uh, that has a kind of you know a stake in the game so having you guys you know with each other is really helpful but, you know, business coaching or business advisors or, or something like that, I, I've, I've found very, very helpful. I'm always trying to learn and I always admit what I don't know. I'm, I try to be as humble as possible. And there's a lot of things I don't know. <laughs> That's really interesting. It, That's really interesting because we there's there's been a couple of most, quite a few guests that did have partners at the very beginning. And they found out right at that point if it worked out or not. And they usually bought the other person out. So yeah. it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, we're yeah, I mean, often. it. It, it, it ended as well as it could, but I mean, it, I, I, I tell people all the time, if you're going into business with a partner, don't just focus on the honeymoon part of it. Um, go like, go through the, what could go wrong? Like basically the, the equivalent of like a prenup where you just go, um, you know, uh, pros and cons. What is, you know, what are, and what are the things you want? What are the things I want? What I had found out with, with David was he actually like within the first year, tried to start another company. And, uh, and that took a lot of his time. And he's like, well, I've always, I'm an entrepreneur. I was going to start other companies. I'm like, oh, okay. And that really caused a divide in where we thought our priorities were. I thought it was him and I going hard, you know, on this. And he was already kind of 
um, separated himself towards other things and no fault there to, to him. It was just, we never had that conversation. We're just like, Hey, we're going to kick ass and uh, take uh, do lots of work and make money. We, and we never had those more serious conversations of what if this happens, what if this goes wrong and do we align? Uh, the other thing I would also say too, is usually is like, you know, make sure that you don't have someone who's exactly the same as you or has all the same uh, abilities. You, it's good when you have someone who's really complimentary to you, uh, who does things better than you or different than you, or that you don't do at all. I hope I didn't just call you guys out if you guys are exactly the same. <laughs> no, 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 no. We think we think the same, but we yeah, that's our, good. our skill sets are are different. For yeah, sure. that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, uh, any 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 possibility of me moving within any organization, either you know, uh, 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 sorry, um, um, making a strategic partnership or a merge or anything like that, I will have that big long list of let's let's go through this what why is this good why is this bad what could go wrong so that we don't find out later on and most a lot of people don't do that and that's usually why they 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 split it's it's no different than a marriage um it really isn't aside from there's way less sex usually um and uh and but like it, it's you go through all the same kind of things and there's that honeymoon and then there's reality sinks in and uh if you weren't aligned you found out you weren't aligned, you did this too quick, or you did this uh, too uh, uh, optimistically, it could definitely come crashing on you. And now you're legally bound to one another, which uh, makes it really hard to just split. And then it can, ours was a clean split. Thank God it could have gotten really bad though. Yeah, I can only imagine. Like, I mean, luckily with Kirill and I, we've been doing this since 2014. So if if it yeah, was you guys are, crash and burn, we would have known by now. <laughs> you're over the hump. If you're good now, you're probably good for a while, for sure. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Well, Doug, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like, thank I, you. I really enjoyed this episode. It was focusing on a different aspect of the video production business, which was more so like the employee side, pricing. We haven't touched on those topics too much lately, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Like, I want to bring you back on next time, focus a little more on the strategy aspect of things. I think. Yeah, that... happy to come back. I'm an open book. <laughs> Usually, <laughs> sometimes to a fault. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you. Take care.